Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. And if there was an award for the worst tackle in the Premier League over the last 20 years, I'd say Mason Holgate deserves the prize. A shocking tackle on Brighton's Kaoru Mitoma yesterday. And even more shocking, his teammates coming out to defend the challenge. We'll get stuck into that on today's Football Social Daily. We'll also discuss Manchester United's close shave against the gutsy Luton side yesterday. And Newcastle United are set to lose Dan Ashworth. They've placed him on gardening leave as business picks up at Old Trafford. Welcome to the show. My name's Niall, joined as always by Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. How was your weekend, boys? Morning, yeah. Uh, very good. Very good weekend, actually. Um, today's the due date of my child being born but there's no child yet so so that was a nice stress-free weekend um a goal at sunday league we won 8-2 yesterday uh in sunday league so managed to score there um and then when i came off the pitch after about 65 70 minutes my wife texted me saying we've won the uh, postcode lottery <laughs> so i won i won a bit on the postcode lottery as well so we went straight <laughs> off the tee and uh and spent some of the winnings. I wouldn't say it was a stress-free weekend because we've always got something to complain about on a Monday here on Football Social Daily. So let's get stuck in with our usual feature, Get in the Sea. If you never joined us before, welcome to the podcast, tackling all the big Premier League talking points and gossip. And to kick off every week, we do this feature, Get in the Sea, which is a chance for Joel Marley and myself to basically just whinge about whatever's annoyed us over the course of the weekend. And I know there's plenty to get stuck into, but I'm going to start because I think, what is this, the second week in a row now that mine isn't specifically Premier League focused, although it does kind of become football focused in general. The one thing that wound me up this weekend was I was at a League Two match on Saturday. I was at Walsall against Mansfield Town in League Two. Enjoyed the game. It was a really good contest. So Walsall, who are 16th in League Two, would be in Mansfield, who needed to win to go top of the table because results elsewhere were going their way. And naturally, when the score's 2-1, the pace of the game slows down. Walsall were at home. They weren't in a rush to do anything. And one of the players took a little bit too long to take a throw in. And the referee blows his whistle, books him. 
then proceeds to spend 40 seconds writing the player's name down on the card before putting it back in his pocket, blowing his whistle, and play resumes again. The referee has wasted more time writing the name of the player down on the back of his yellow card than the time that was actually wasted in the first place when this guy was about to take the throw in. It just made absolutely no sense to me. Again, it's another thing that can be stopped instantly stopped by just having the clock stop as as the ball goes out it would just never you would never need that would you like it doesn't matter he, the referee could be doing his best handwriting on the back of a yellow card it doesn't matter because the clock stopped so as soon as Lado throws it in again the clock starts and it's like as soon as 90 minutes hits 90 minutes hits that's it end of the game it would just reduce everything but it's league two so would it even work I don't know do the scoreboard scoreboards work, don't work half the time in league two but it's just stupid when you think about it. The fact that the referees wasted more time by writing the player's name down in his notebook than actually the time that was wasted by the throw-in being a little bit longer than usual. And things like foul throws as well. Why does nobody know how to take a throw-in? Keep both feet on the ground. You see loads It happens of them all the time. Loads of them, yeah, yeah. I've noticed that. Anyway, that's my getting the C. Nice, quick one. Get it out of the way early. <laughs> Trust me to talk about the Football League on a Premier League podcast. Right, over to you boys. Marley, what are you throwing in? Uh, I'm throwing in the the incident in the Sheffield United game. Um, Mason Holgate. I'm not necessarily throwing him in the sea, even though I could, because it was the most horrific tackle on Karu Mitoma that you've uh, you've seen in a while. I mean, it catches him on the thigh, uh, physically above the knee. It was that bad. Um, and you know what? It's a good job it did, because if it was any lower, that could have been serious damage. And actually, the fact it was in the quad probably did Matoma a favour. Fleshy part of the thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because um, that would have been your ACL. Well, there's three main tendons in your knee, isn't there? Uh, ligaments, sorry. So ACL, MCL and... LCL. LCL, yeah. So could have done all three of them um, quite easily. But the thing that wound me up about it was not the the tackle itself as much as um, Sheffield United captain Arnel Ahmed Hodzic's interview after the game where he said he didn't think it was a foul and he was like it's just part of the game I something that winds me up is that you are not gonna you're not gonna um, lose your sort of um, reputation for agreeing that one of your teammates should have been sent off you can there's nothing wrong with saying yeah it was a red card and he's made a mistake and you know, it's it's affected us, but we we pick up and move on. You just roll out the cliches like that. You you just say you just say that. But Ahmed Hodzic came out after the game. Oh, you know, I I didn't think it was a foul. And if one of your teammates had got had got that happen to them, you as captain would have been first one over saying that is horrendous. You know, in the rest face, all the rest of it. Um, and it's just the what's the word like the tribalism of the game is anything that happens to your team. It's a travesty. It's absolutely, it's the worst yeah, thing ever. But even, but even like, Sheffield United fans will be able to admit that is a red card tackle. It's not like it's a 50-50, exactly. is it? It's not like That's it's six I mean. of one, half a dozen of the other, or one of those ones we've seen this season where someone's played the ball and then gone through the man. He completely yeah, misses it, the ball. His foot rolls over and hits his leg or something. Yeah. So it's a red card. The only thing that I can think of, Marley, is that maybe he hasn't seen it. He says... In real time, he didn't think it was a free kick and he thought it was a fair challenge. He must not have seen a replay or he must have had his view obstructed. But then again, they play a back three. 
He must have been close by. I, I think he's using it as an excuse. Like, oh, I, I didn't... If I say I didn't see it back, I can say it wasn't a foul. Like, I think you... If you go into an, an interview where you're going to be asked about that, you should you should have seen it. You should have that few minutes in the dressing room to, to see it. And then you can comment on it more wisely. But you just sound, you sound like a tit, to be honest. Like, you just sound daft. Um, where... You know, as soon as as soon as something happens to Sheffield United as well, every team has then now got an excuse. Like, well, if that wasn't a, f- if he didn't think that was a, a foul, then what was what was that? You know what I mean? It's like, it's just it wound me up. I was like, just at least just get rid of that tribalism for like two seconds. Just be like, yeah, you know, he's he's went for the ball, he's missed it, um, and and yeah, you know, he's he's made contact with the with the player, or even just go full Arsene Wenger and say, I didn't see it. You know, just just blatantly lie. Just got sorry, I didn't see it. It was it was real time. I was looking at my man. Um, I was marking my my guy. Um, and was seeing what would happen if the ball would break type of thing, or just just lie basically. But Ahmed Hodzic, he doesn't see much to be honest, because then he con- he went on to concede five goals, and he's, he's this season's <laughs> Pascal Strauch. Honestly, I think he's absolutely horrendous. Um, <laughs> terrible defender. And his eyesight isn't much better if he thinks that's a, that's a fair tackle. Because if that happened to him, he'd be the first one up. Trying to scrap everyone there that came near him. One, it was almost as eye-opening as the tackle. The comments that he made after the game, saying that he didn't think it was even a foul, let alone a yellow or a red card. But it was a red card after review. Joel, it was overturned. The referee was sent over to VAR monitor, and he expunged the yellow and handed out a red card instead for Holgate. Now, I don't know whether to be concerned that the referee didn't see that as a red card initially or whether I should be pleased that VAR got the decision right, because effectively we've given enough criticism to VAR, so we should give it praise when it works in the right manner. And that was a situation in which there was a clear and obvious error. It was a red card. It was overturned and the right decision was reached. Yeah, it's quite a bizarre situation that I've not seen in a while, which is in the opposite circumstances, a referee sending someone off for a tackle where everyone's thinking that was too harsh in terms of the actual red card whereas in this situation I genuinely don't understand how you miss that especially when you've got two linesmen who can you know have a decent view of it but again I was just thinking the other day uh, about VAR I was watching a replay of a Champions League classic game I think it was the Barcelona against Inter Milan game in the semi-final at the camp now when uh, I think it was Thiago Motta got sent off because Busquets went down holding his face and then had a little cheeky look while he was on the ground. And I was thinking if VAR was around at that time, the game would have been so different. I mean, he would never have been sent off. And that's why I'm thankful in this situation. That's the perfect situation where VAR is fit for purpose, where the referee genuinely misses something which was clear and obvious. And that's where it should be given its, its dues and its credit because that's where it has worked in the game. All the other little millimetre distance and the rules which are misconstrued, that's where it is still needs a lot of refining. But I think there's no point even going down that rabbit hole because that's that's the absolute perk, isn't it? That's the benefit of having VAR for that situation is his assistant referee. Holgate will get a three-match ban. Should it be more? No. 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 I mean, a foul's a foul at the end of the day. You can't be going down a criminal system saying oh was it was it malice though was it with a bit of you know agenda towards it no three's three's enough you have a a cap when it comes to that otherwise you open a whole can of worms in terms of did he really mean it was it a bit premeditate before the game let's cap it at three it's funny because it feels like the higher the tackle 
the more outraged people are. <laughs> like, if he had studded him in the chest, people would have been well, even like more angry. The World Cup. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he's probably executed a safer tackle by getting him above the knee, as I said to Marley a minute ago. If he catches him halfway down the shin, break his leg in half. It reminded me of, you know, when we had Ben Thornley on the show, mm. it was actually quite a similar tackle to that, which completely shattered his patella and that was pretty much it for his career. But that's the difference with centimetres and inches at that speed. It's a game of inches, isn't it? Literally centimetres, isn't it? I mean, you're lucky that your thigh bone's stronger than concrete because that's why you probably benefited Matoma in that circumstance. Any lower and you're gone. I love how Matoma just did a front flip, landed on his backside and just started rubbing it really vigorously as if he had just got a dead leg or something. Like, Surprised he wasn't smearing blood everywhere. Cause it's like a 12 and a half stone guy has just come through you at about 20 mile an hour and he's just like <laughs> styled it out like a WWE wrestler. Like Peter Griffin on Family Guy where he's, where he hurts his knee and he's like... Ah. <laughs> yeah. Marley, it'll be like when you have your kid and he's he great he is it, it's a he isn't it hope so that's what they told us <laughs> <laughs> i hope i hope it's still the same uh like you know when a kid goes down and grazes themselves and you have to like keep rubbing his saying it's okay it's okay don't yeah, cry yeah. don't cry it's one of those ones <laughs> you have to get good at that <laughs> that's what the physios do that's what that's football physios they come on with a magic sponge and i just vigorously rub it that's all right and the blue paper towel <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> went, went and got a wet paper towel just that to make out. it that could feel cure, a little bit that better that could cure the worst diseases that i'm telling you <laughs> <laughs> all right well that tackle and the reaction from the sheffield united captain rightly getting thrown into the sea by marley so it's over to you joel to complete this week's get in the sea yeah i'm officially off the luton love affair sorry boys i'm gonna have to leave you on with obviously niall being the chariot the one who's guiding it for me i'm jumping off after after yesterday's game and it's purely because of Rob Edwards, their manager, and his comments after the game, it just left such a sour note where I literally had my head in my hands thinking, what the hell are you talking about? Where after the game, he said, Man United winning 2-1, so of course it's four minutes added on. Is it to say, because we're Man United, it means that it's four minutes and that's it, and we get some kind of preferential treatment? Are you crazy? I mean, of course, every team has decisions for and against them. This season, we've had some absolute shockers. When it's come to red cards, I know everyone's going to talk about the Casemiro one. We can go into that further if you want. But we've had some shockers of decisions this season. Whether it's been red cards, whether it's been decisions where it's been ruled out for VAR, where everyone's thinking, really? I mean, that right there is just complete bitterness. There was no stoppages in that second half. Literally none to warrant 10, 11 minutes. 10, 11 minutes isn't a given just because of a goal kick or because of a celebration. It's because there's genuine stoppages, which means you add it on to the end of the game. You don't get a divine right just because you're losing to have another 10 minutes of added time to go and try and score a goal. Otherwise, you may as well bring back golden goal again and just allow the other team to try and score until they actually do. So now for me, it's just a bit of sour grapes from him. Fair play to Luton, they were all right, but that's mainly because we allowed them to stay in the game because we couldn't hit a barn door yesterday. So for me, bitter grapes, and I'm so happy we beat them at the the iconic... Hello, bitter grapes. <laughs> I love the metaphors you make up, Joe. Sour grapes, innit? Don't be bitter or don't have sour Bit- grapes. Bitter and sour, same thing, tomato, tomato. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you said you're jumping off the Luton bandwagon. Can you see why I started the Luton bandwagon in the first place? Because even though they've got more crosses than any other team in the Premier League this season, they're second for long balls, they do try and get the ball down and play at times. I do think it's just, it looks, I don't know what the diameter is of their pitch, or I don't know if it's just because the perception... Tiny. Yeah, I can see it literally. 
because sometimes it feels like, let's say you're playing in a massive bowl of a stadium like Tottenham, you could have similar diameters in terms of pitch, but because of the perception of the walls are big, it feels and a little bit- the crowd being dead close feels, and stuff. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. It's like, you know, when you go in a really big open area, it feels bigger than it actually is. So that's interesting that the diameter is smaller because it fits them to an absolute T. Because when you get the likes of Man City, Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, who all want to play on the ground, play nice, attractive, slow football, it's actually very difficult to do because you're almost in an infinity rondo, aren't you? Because there's no space. You're constantly having to quickly play one-touch passes. That's why they got Brighton. Remember when, when I said about Brighton coming to to the Kenny and they had kickoff and they conceded after 19 seconds because they tried to play the game and um, I think it was Buonanotte or whatever, however you pronounce it, he lost the ball just because he, he thought there was more space. Um, and at the Amex, there would have been more space, but at the Kenny, tiny, tiny little space. And, uh, you know, away you go. You, they, they're used to it and you are not. That's how they're getting a lot of their results. Do Manchester United get given preferential treatment when it comes to added time, Marley? Um, I don't know. Maybe. Speak your, tr- speak but, your truth, Marley. Joel, don't start beating around hang the Hang on. Hang on. So my genuine opinion on this is that this is... This is a hangover from all the time that Ferguson would oh, genuinely get. And come nobody on. can... You, Joel, you cannot deny. Man United It's been 10 years, get... though. It's been 10 years. They did used no, to. Yeah, I know yeah. you're about to go on and say, but it's, it's been a long time on. since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. Yeah. A long time. But when the perception of Man United getting decisions is still there, and it will, it will probably not go for another 10 years, because it it'll be a generational thing of so whenever a fifty fifty decision goes in Man United's favour, people will go to it whether it's right or not. Like I've just looked at there yesterday, four minutes. You meant to add on thirty seconds for every um every substitution, aren't you? And there was only three subs in the game. Like there was three sub breaks. So Luton had two of them, but Man United had one of them because Man United's other two subs came on at half time, which obviously doesn't count towards. So four minutes. It's probably fair. There was one booking, I think, for Luke Shaw in the second half. There was barely any stoppage. That's 30 literally. seconds. Barely any. So there you're talking two minutes. That is the perception that will follow Man United because Fergie used to get busy. Like, he used to get right in the fourth official's ear and the referees and stuff. And he was very controlling and, and got his way all the time. So that is, it's always going to follow Man United for, for a while. And every, because it, Everyone hates them because of that. So <laughs> there you kind go. Of... The agenda, that's the true meaning. Everybody hates them. So of course it means we've got a... No, but respectfully though, I'll respectfully disagree. And that's more so because in the last 10 years, I feel like that has almost undone itself because we've had such bad decisions since Ferguson. Yeah, but you've also had some good ones as well. Like this season against Wolves at the start of the season, first game of the season. Oh, Nana, in the other game against Wolves, the reverse fixture, he did the same bloody thing and got away with it. And the reverse fixture, when Dallow got sent off and literally screaming away from Michael Oliver, it all balances itself out. We are going to talk about Manchester United in a bit more detail later on Football Social Daily because... The news about them going after Newcastle United Sporting Director Dan Ashworth we spoke about last week. It now looks like a formal approach has been made as Ashworth has been placed on gardening leave by Newcastle. But we'll talk about that shortly because next we're going to talk about the top end of the Premier League because there were some pretty significant results in what's looking like a really close title race this season. We'll talk about it next. (laughs) 
This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with me, Niall, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow. That way you'll never miss an episode of the show again. And you won't want to miss any future episodes if the title race continues to be as exciting as it already has been. What are we now? 25 game weeks into the Premier League season. The run-in will soon be upon us. The spring footballs will be out. The clocks will change. But who will be lifting that Premier League title come the end of May? Interesting the way that the games were scheduled over the weekend, Marley, because we had Brentford against Liverpool 12.30 on Saturday, Burnley against Arsenal 3 o'clock on Saturday, and then at 5.30 Saturday evening, Manchester City against Chelsea. Liverpool with a big 4-1 win away from home at Brentford. Arsenal absolutely decimated Burnley 5-0, but it was Manchester City at home to Chelsea who you'd have to say dropped two points. And even though their home record has been excellent and Chelsea aren't a bad team on their day, with the fact that Liverpool and Arsenal had completed such big victories over their respective opponents, even though it was Chelsea, do you think City will be seeing that as two drop points in this title race this season? Uh, Yeah, they've they've got to. Um, Anytime Man City drop points, you expect them to win every week. So yeah, of course. Um, Guardiola did his thing before the game of of doing that smile and saying Chelsea are incredible, Chelsea are absolutely brilliant and all the rest of it like he always does Um, but they are incredible when they want to be (laughs) like when they turn up they're a good team but but I I always think with Chelsea they they just play to the level of their opponents so if they're playing a really good team they play really well and if they're playing a really poor team they play terribly and ultimately the poor team tends to get a result or the so-called sort of poorer team um, but yeah, City, of course, it has to be two drop points. Um, their game in hand now will only put them second. So I think they'll be on, if they win the game in hand, it'll be 57 points, 56 points and 55 points separating the three of them. So it couldn't be any tighter. It's it's shaping up to be really, uh, really interesting. Um, I still probably make City favourites, but um, yeah, they the you know, they prove they can be got at. I mean, Haaland missed a few chances at the weekend, um, sparking the uh, the cliche, he's human, he is human. Right, all the commentators loved that, loved rolling that one out. Like, yeah, he has missed chances before, like, we all know. <laughs> it's one of them boring cliches. Um, but yeah, Doku was pocketed. That's the more su- uh, surprising thing for me. Doku didn't, didn't have too much success against uh, uh, Gusto, I think it was, Marlo Gusto. So... And Chelsea played well. Chelsea hit on the counter-attack. Um, Sterling um, scoring the goal, somehow scored the goal despite making the complete wrong decision to not just shoot first time and bring it back inside Kyle Walker. But he got away with it. Um, and yeah, just decent from Chelsea and made it, made it interesting now. The amount of tweets I've seen, the amount of newspaper articles I've seen, Chelsea may have finally turned a corner. I mean, file it under the, what, another one? They've turned that many corners. <laughs> they're actually just going around in circles now. Yeah, exactly. Like if you go around a housing estate and keep turning left, eventually you're going to see the same house just passing. Uh, 100%, past Marley, 100%. Although I did want to touch upon that staggering of kickoff times, Joel. Do you think that will make a difference or have an impact during this title race? The fact that we saw Liverpool at 12.30, Arsenal at 3, Manchester City at 5.30. Now, that might not happen every week, but depending on who plays first and what the results are elsewhere, 
we always hear managers and players say they don't look at the table and they only focus on the game they've got and they're not bothered about results. I think in modern football, that's absolute rubbish. That might have been the case in the 70s and 80s, but now in the world of information, everyone knows what the scores are. It's on the TV around the stadiums. People would tell you in the street. The way that it unfolded on Saturday was really interesting. I think the only difference it's going to have is the Jurgen Klopp's blood pressure whenever he has a half 12 kickoff because that's the only time he seems to not like when his Liverpool side play. But I think when it gets to the final eight games, that's where it has a significant psychological impact because if you're the team that's dropped points or if you're the team that is about to play after the team that's dropped points, let's say Arsenal dropped points at half 12 and then Manchester City or Liverpool have to win their game to go and leapfrog them. It is so difficult to do because the pressure is all on you and you know that if this opportunity passes you by, you might not get another opportunity like that again. So it is a bit of a pendulum, psychological pendulum swinger of who has the advantage and when, especially when these two teams play each other again. For example, Arsenal and Liverpool and Liverpool and Manchester City. That's when it starts to get intense because, you know, if Liverpool and Man City draw each other and Arsenal have a game right after it, suddenly onus is all on them and they have to win so you don't think it matters when each team plays then because on tuesday manchester city brentford wednesday liverpool luton and then on saturday it's arsenal against newcastle and liverpool and manchester city don't have games at the weekend because it's the fa cup fourth round or fifth round so this time city go first liverpool go second arsenal go third in their next premier league matches so the order changes at this stage of the season i really don't think so and I think for Manchester City especially, I genuinely don't think they care about where they are. I mean, if you look at their title wins previously, especially the one 2014 when Liverpool, like three games in hand that they had to win in order to leapfrog them. Yeah, but you'd rather have points on the board, which is what I mean. Manchester City are playing first now in this next round of Premier League fixtures. They're playing on Tuesday against Brentford. They'd rather win that, get the points, put the pressure on Liverpool who play second. So as much as Jurgen Klopp complains about these 12.30 kickoffs sometimes, I actually think being the first team to play in a weekend can be in your favour. It can be an advantage because once you've got the victory, it's all right, then we've done our job. Over to you lot. See if you can match us. And if they do, they're expected to do it. So it's not so much of a big deal. But if they drop points... I mean, only Manchester City really have been good at chasing. Yeah, this is what I mean. We've, and Arsenal have proven to be ones that have had it difficult, especially last season where it proven a little bit too much for them last season. Liverpool, I'll probably bat them to do it. But I think when it comes to the European football side, this is going to play a big impact in it because more likely than not, Manchester City will be at the, at the semi-finals at an absolute minimum. And it's not like the Europa League that Liverpool are in where, to be fair, Liverpool can probably feel the pretty second string side up until the quarters, you would say. And then they might need to start increasing the gears a little bit. But I think even still, Jurgen Klopp will be willing to sacrifice that over winning the Premier League 100%. And I think even for Arsenal, like I said, when they uh, drew their last 16 draw, they should be semi-finals minimum this season. No questions asked. They've got the squad to do it. So I think for City and for Arsenal, if they have a half 12 on a Saturday and they've just come back from a Wednesday knockout at Champions League, I think the advantage is probably Liverpool, to be honest, regardless of if Liverpool have played on the Thursday, because more often than not, they'll be playing against a pretty weak side anyway, with less, I think, pressure for them to win. Champions League and Europa League's night and day in terms of what they represent. So 
I think when it comes to the the final business end, the last eight games of the season, when every time a, a team scores, it comes up on the screen, oh, Manchester City have just leapfrogged Liverpool because of that goal. That's when it starts to hit you, I think, a little bit more. But that's where we start to see, are these teams ready to take on the challenge then? Because Manchester City have done this for, what, three years running now. They know what it takes. Arsenal, I'd be, I'd say they're the ones that are probably most culpable of crumbling if it if it comes to that final five games and Arsenal have to leapfrog and they're the last team that play. I genuinely feel like they're the ones who would fall at the first hurdle. Definitely. There's definitely an order to these three of who it affects more. Man City are not affected. They don't care. They've won titles from behind. They've won titles at a canter. They've won titles hitting points records and stuff like that. Liverpool have strung together 12 or 13 wins in a row from now to the end of the season before. Yeah, they came up short, but they know how to win when they need to win. You know, that that amazing 98 versus 97 point season that they had with Man City a few years back. Um, Whereas Arsenal, Arsenal had the lead last time, uh, last season, and blew it. It was in their hands at times. Um, And we all knew, I think it was April, when they played Man City and everyone was like, well, Man City will beat them. And Arsenal knew that that was the game it came down to. And I think they lost the game 3-0. City won the league at a canter. Yeah. So. But Arsenal also gave up a two-goal lead at Anfield. They also gave up a lead against West Ham. They also drew against Southampton. So when it actually got down to the nuts and bolts of it, they twitched first. Yeah, and that, that will play on the minds this season if it comes to that. And they're playing third in that weekend. Uh, you know, they're playing Sunday two o'clock when the other two teams have played Saturday at half twelve and half five or whatever. It will it will definitely be on the mind. It's just a case of can they can they mature as a team to um to overcome that? And we don't know. But Liverpool will know because half their squad, half their starting eleven is the same one that won, you know, twelve in a row or whatever it was to the end of the season, even though they didn't win the league that year, and they've won the league before. So this Arsenal team hasn't. So it'll affect them the most if it comes to that, if they get that far. Title race getting interesting in the Premier League. Stay with us on Football Social Daily right throughout the rest of this Premier League campaign by hitting subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcast. That's the best way to stay in the loop with us. And that way, whenever whenever we do release a new episode, you'll be notified straight away. Next on FSD is Manchester on the mind for Dan Ashworth, the Newcastle United sporting director who was subject to plenty of rumours of Manchester United interest last week has now been officially placed on gardening leave by Newcastle United. We'll talk about the latest next on FSD. Final part of today's FSD Football Social Daily. Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson alongside me. Marley is a Newcastle fan and Joel is a Manchester United fan. And those two clubs, well, they've had a few good battles in recent times. The Carabao Cup final and Marley likes to remind us of the mid-90s, those glory years. He's even put up a little uh, photo of some newspaper clippings behind him there. How long did that take you to put up? <laughs> a long time. It's on a, It's on a long string at the back, so I had to put two hooks on the on the wall and make sure they were level. It took me about 20 minutes and three or four goes at getting it in the wall. It'll so. take more than 20 minutes and five or six goes to figure out what's going on between Newcastle and Manchester United with Dan Ashworth. Newcastle were in tough negotiations with Brighton to bring Ashworth in as their sporting director in the first place, Marley. 
Now it's alleged in the newspapers that Ashworth has told Newcastle he's willing to leave to go and work for Manchester United. So he's been placed on gardening leave and I guess let the deliberations begin. Yeah, I mean, we waited, I think we waited about six months for him um, to do his gardening leave and there was... It was very similar to this situation. It was quite protracted um, negotiations of will he leave and stuff like that. And even though I think it was always obvious that he was going to leave Brighton because he'd been there for a while um, and the project was so obvious at Newcastle, he was kind of like coming to, to replicate that that uh, project to an extent. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of similar to, to the situation we're seeing now um, where the gardening leave comes in and, and stuff like that. But... I mean, for a guy, Dan Ashworth must have the, the nicest garden in the world because he's had so much, so much gardening leave and he's about to get so much more that what else can you do? He must have a, a garden like a palace. Every every type of flower that you can imagine, every type of rose bush. Uh, he's probably got a florist on the, on, the, on a little side hustle because he's got that much uh, nice little uh, stuff going on in his garden. He's but... busy planting the new red plants, a nice bloom of red across the right side. Yeah, well, he, he could have a... A poisonous plant or something because maybe he'll go in and poison you lot so you never know um but one thing is if you're if you want him you're gonna have to pay for him which is great it's absolutely brilliant if you're if you want him soon you have to pay us 20 million quid which is sweet sweet revenge um for when man united tried to try to charge 15 million pounds for jesse lingard on loan um two years ago when newcastle were uh struggling against relegation we wanted um Jesse Lingard, Man United tried to have our pants down for 15 million, so they got told swiftly where to go. Uh, and now the tables have turned. And if you want Dan Ashworth, it's the price is apparently 20 million. Well, to put that into perspective, that is four times the amount that Newcastle paid Brighton for his services a couple of years ago. So, Joel, with how important the restructure will be at Manchester United, do they just need to go and give Newcastle the cash, give them 20 million for someone as influential as Dan Ashworth? Or... Do you think that puts them in a weaker position when it comes to future deals? I'm going to be a bit diplomatic in this situation and say that I understand Newcastle's stance on this completely because they had to do the same thing for Brighton. They went with the rules, the gardening leave, the compensation, completely agree with it. But Ineos have shown that they are willing to do what it takes to get the right people in at the right positions no matter what. Because if you think about it, you almost have to be a bit cruel to be kind in this position where we don't want another summer of squandering 85 million on a player from the Eredivisie, 60 million on a player who's nowhere near worth it. Ashworth might be worth his weight in gold in terms of this summer and in terms of the plans for this summer. And he might be an essential jigsaw piece that Ineos feel is needed. And so whatever the compensation, 20 million sounds quite incredible for someone who's not going to be on the pitch. I've never heard of that kind of money being given. A lot for sporting directors. If it was a manager, I'd now, say... Even for a manager, that's okay. a, a significant amount of money. But I guess... It is, but it, de- depending on the context, if the manager's exceptional... I understand, but the point is, yeah, you're yeah, right. The reason good. compensation is being agreed is because Newcastle have Dan Ashworth tied to a contract, which he's only just signed, which means that if that contract was left to run, he wouldn't be allowed to work for or join Manchester United until 2025. The reason that Manchester United are offering compensation, at least that's what we're led to believe, is so they can get Ashworth in the building sooner. Are United 
willing to wait until 2025 to get this man in? Clearly not, which is why they want to splash the cash on him. Yeah, you, you can't. Why would you wait another year and a half to try and get someone in who's integral to the plans? It just doesn't make sense. And that's why I feel like for Newcastle, they probably looked at Ashworth and thought, well, given the contract we've given him, he's obviously been around all this information about what's going on at Newcastle, what the plans are for the next three years. He's an integral part of their planning system. And so whether we like it or not, Newcastle are a competitor now in terms of the next few years, regardless, because the money's there. So for Newcastle, they don't want to be... Especially off the pitch. Yeah, 100%. Even if we, even if one of us underachieves on the pitch, we're still we're going for the same, fishing in the same pond now, really. What Manchester United are doing and what Newcastle United are doing, they're well within the rights. Man United are not going off the books and doing anything underhanded. This is just business. This is what happens when you want someone who's a high-profile person and it's going to take compensation to get it. I can imagine United will pay it. I think it is going to be a formality because Newcastle now, they're in a situation that football clubs find themselves in when a player wants to leave. You don't want a disgruntled employee who's already accepted, apparently, that he wants to go to one of your competitors. That's it. The court's cut. I think Newcastle would rather allow him to be fully paid and not be anywhere near the club now or him go to Manchester United, but he's not going to return. That's it. He's, he's almost severed ties. And now that's all going to come down to his money. How much do you want to pay for someone who's integral to our plans? How much do you really want him? I think United are going to really want him. I think he's such a crucial piece to this summer and beyond. So he's going to have to pay whatever it takes. Isn't it absolutely staggering that he will get gardening leave, which is full pay, for saying he wants to leave? When the Man United knock comes, it's a big, big knock, Niall. It's a big, big knock. Don't flatter yourself, you tosspot. There's a reason he's leaving after six months. Come on. It's the biggest jog of his career. He's going to leave. But I honestly think one of the other parts of it is the relationship that he's had with with (laughs) the so-called inner circle of Newcastle, like Eddie Howe's immediate sort of circle, um, has not been smooth sailing so far and even though both guys have a character of of apparently very easy to work with I think if you look at what Dan Ashworth has done so far for Newcastle um, I criticised it at the time we spent 50 million on Sandro Tonali and nobody found out that he had a gambling problem and he had charges potentially hanging over him AC Milan knew that's why they sold him he was like one of the senior players at AC Milan so they number one needed the money and number two, didn't want to have a banned player for for when all this dirty laundry came out into the open. So there's that, which is a cause of, you know, like I said on the podcast at the time, someone should have found that. And that is your, your sporting director, your director of football. He's the guy who's ultimately uh, responsible for finding that out. So there's, there's one tiny thing, um, well, one factor for definite that I think is... Uh, is Cause this situation, but the second one is the the signing of Lewis Hall from Chelsea. Um, we've got an obligation to buy Lewis Hall for twenty eight million pound if he meets certain requirements, and he is not playing at all for Newcastle at the minute. He's sitting on the bench week in week out. Matt Ritchie's coming on ahead of him. Um, Emil Kraft is coming on ahead of him. Tino Livramento's coming on, on ahead of him, which is fine because Tino's our permanent player and, and brilliant. Um, and at the weekend, a young lad called Joe White made his professional debut at 2-1 at down when Lewis Hall was sat on the bench. 
and he can't get on the game. And all our fans are asking, there's something going on here, but we don't know what it is because obviously we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. But there's something going on with that transfer. Eddie Howe does not rate Ed Lewis Hall, otherwise he would have played more minutes. Sandro Tonali has played 10 times as many minutes as Lewis Hall this season, and he's been banned since the start of October, I think it is. So Lewis Hall can't get off the bench. And why? Like, what's going on? So that deal has been put in place where we've got an obligation to buy a player that, that the manager does not rate. So who's who's put that deal in place? Dan Ashworth has put that deal in place. So the friction is there. Like, I don't want this player, but we're obligated to buy him. So now we've got to sit him on the bench while all the fans going are going, why is he sitting on the bench? And then PSR comes in and says, well, if you spend 30 million on him, you can't, you've got 30 million less to spend in the summer where you would back yourself to go and buy a player that does fit in the players, the manager's plans. Um, and it all becomes a bit of a, a web, a bit of a mess, really. So I think they're the two factors that Dan Ashworth has been involved in that Eddie Howe doesn't like. And therefore, it's caused a bit of friction. And when Man United come knocking, number one, you can get rid of a guy you who, who you didn't really fancy. Um, and number two, you can get paid very handsomely for a guy who doesn't get on the pitch every weekend. You know, he's not he's not an integral part to the thing. There are other players, other men out there that can do that job if you can go and find Marley, one. that's a really, really, really long way around saying he's just joining a bigger club. <laughs> He's just joining the bigger club that is, that is massive, you know absolutely ginormous, and it's the biggest job of his career. And regardless of how he was going to Newcastle, he wants He's going to do what everyone else has Man United, at Man United has done for the last 10 years. Fail. Uh, anyway, that's it for Football Social Daily today. We'll keep a close eye on that Dan Ashworth situation, as we will with all of the other Premier League news and gossip over the next few days. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again. It's Everton versus Crystal Palace tonight. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's podcast. We'll also be talking about Nottingham Forest's strange decision to hire former referee Mark Clattenburg. So make sure you don't miss tomorrow's podcast or we'll get stuck into that one. But from Marley, Joel and I, that's it for Football Social Daily today. We'll catch you on the next one. See you then. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.